sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord of the God, and Lord God will be will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and in his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you, Rick and Jen. So Mary, Mother Mary, uh, whether you've grown up in church or not, you probably know of Mary as a hero of the Christian faith. Um, you've seen statues and figurines and murals, and I think we would all probably admit that we know there's something about Mary. But here's the thing. Heroes don't come from Nazareth. And a future student of Jesus's even at one point gets quoted asking, what good comes from Nazareth? And essentially what he's saying is that why would I be interested in something that comes from a part of the world that nobody respects? But the angel Gabriel didn't choose to make his announcement to Herod's daughter or any of the rich and prestigious Jewish elite, he came to a poor, illiterate, unimportant Jewish girl in Nazareth named Mary. To really understand the profundity of this, it helps to understand the backdrop of this story. Because see, not far from this scene of Gabriel talking to Mary, there was a king. There was King Herod, who was also known as King of the Jews. And some historians figure that in today's dollars, King Herod is actually one of the wealthiest men to ever walk the earth. Think Jeff Bezos, but even more money. And he was a successful businessman with dealings as far as anyone could reach at that point. He was actually ahead of his time with uh, building properties, castles, uh, palaces, everything that he was up to. And he even contained enough power and resources to move a mountain to build one of his palaces, literally moving mountains. Now, on the flip side of this, the censored version is that King Herod was very, very bad. He was a bad man 
Yes, more than even a common day Stalin. His reputation preceded him as ruthless. He was envious. He was cruel, jealous, and he was always worried about someone coming in on his power. That at some point he would lose everything that he has built. This became a makeup of a man who was willing to do anything to protect his power. From civilians to the people that were actually hired to protect him, from his brother-in-law to his sister, no one was actually safe at the hands of this man, including his own sons. One writer of the time actually said that I'd be better off as one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. And I find it interesting that this was the backdrop with some of the New Testament writers point out as they tell the narrative of Jesus' birth. When we read about Mary, a powerless young teenager in the middle of nowhere, and the angels come to her and he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This is completely backwards. Wouldn't it make more sense for the rich and powerful to find favor? Those that, that actually have it together is who the angel would come to and say that you are favored. Those that actually can do something to make change with resources in the world, those are the people that are favored. For God to find favor in Mary over Herod begs the question, is God coming to the powerful or is he coming to the humble? The Magi show up to one of Herod's nine palaces at one point and say, hey, Where's this baby king of the Jews that was just born? And what was Herod's response? He goes on to make sure that there will be no baby under the age of two that could ever become a king. It was a response of power. When the angels show up to Mary and says she is favored and she will give birth to a son who will be a king one day, amidst the million doubts that probably flooded her young mind, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In stark contrast of Herod, Mary gives a response of humility. See, the biblical authors seem to be pointing to two ways in which we can respond to a God who is pursuing us in ways which we may not understand. We can actually have a posture that demands power, or we can have a posture that invites presence. And if that, and that if you and I want to experience power in lives, our lives, are we willing to make room for the presence of Jesus? It's my only question tonight. Are we willing to make room for the presence of Jesus in our lives? So this Christmas season, in which ways may you and I be striving for power? In which ways as we read the story of Mary and we think about this humble little girl that oftentimes we don't really actually step into her story, in which ways may King Herod actually be alive in our hearts? In what ways are you controlling the narrative of your life or maybe the narrative of the life of others? In what ways are you becoming reliant on needing all the answers to have control? In, in what ways have you already predetermined who God is and how he's showing up in the world? See, it's not in our... It, it is, is it because it is not in our humility in which God is trying to show up. As we strive for power and status and ego, he's saying, no, will you become humble? A humility that braces the mystery of not having all the answers. 
being open to a God beyond our finite worldview that we each have. A humility to recognize that I may not fully understand what is best for my life, what is best for others. A humility which is open to a God who continues to show up in the unexpected, the ordinary, the misunderstood over and over and over again. So if you find yourself with much tonight, how may God be calling you to humility? If you find yourself with little tonight, how may God be calling you to humility? See, through Mary, Jesus has come as a king to the humble. So by way of embracing this, why don't we stand and sing this next song together? This reading is from Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So if we can imagine for a minute this being a young girl, the world has been turned upside down, you're in a state of confusion, you're a powerless person that an angel has just come to and told you these grand things that are going to happen. And in the midst of this, Mary sings a song, and she sings a song of great power, but what's interesting is it's not about her power. She sings of the power of God who sees her in her lowly state. She, she sings about a God that empowers her in her humble posture and a God that wants to do extraordinary things through an ordinary life. And I wonder for us tonight, what is our song? Like what song are you singing in your life right now? Like if we were to just lay our lives out on the table, if we were just to take a, a raw look at um, everything that we're up to or that we think that we're up to in life, what song is our life singing? What does the song of how we spend our time and our money look like and sound like? The song of where we're putting our trust and our passions and our desires and every longing. What, is, what does that song look like? Because oftentimes it does say the things that we're singing are the things that we're prioritizing in our life. And the things that we're prioritizing are the things that we're most oftentimes becoming like. So I wonder, is your song a song of placing your hope in the power of God? Or is it a song that you might be singing about your own power? And I know for me, sometimes it can be both. It can be both at the same time. I can definitely at times sing my own song where I'm thinking that through a career, I will find that all that God has for me. 
I could, I could think that having all the answers, then I will find comfort and control in life. If I could get others just to respond the way I want them to, to maybe finally get me, then I will be able to find peace and rest in life. That when my worldview wins out, that's when things will be made right. See, because what's especially interesting about Mary's song is she sings this line, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne. See, what Mary is doing is she is rejoicing in a God whose power will outlast anything that you and I can try to attain on our own. His justice, which is restoring and making all things new. He is setting things right again. It will prevail over the worldly accomplishments that we can put every part of our being towards. And all of those things will eventually fade away. She's not just rejoicing in that God is going to bring her to power through this new idea that she's going to be giving birth to a king, and could you imagine her status after that? No. She's, it's actually the quite opposite because she continues singing and she says this, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So in the second part, my question for us tonight is what are you hungry for? What are the things that you're desiring? What are the things that you're prioritizing? What are the things that you're singing with your life day in and day out? And right now in a season of busyness, in a season that is mostly feeling, like self-fulfilling, the desires and longings and the wants and wishes that we have, that we can make a list and we can get everything that we want. Are we satisfied with just the worldly power that we can achieve on our own? Status, recognition, comfort, control. Or maybe it's that you don't even feel like you have power. But you're trying to seek it in so many ways. And again, if you're anything like me, you find yourself exhausted. You find yourself absolutely exhausted. You're weary because you, everything that you output can never be enough to actually receive the thing that you're trying to fulfill. It's like this bucket that we have. No matter what we put in it, no matter how many desires or how many things that actually come to fruition, it's like they're just falling right out the bottom of the bucket and never actually gets full. We never actually attain completeness and rightness from the inside out. So are you trading out worldly power for the presence of God? Because I do truly believe that it's the presence of God that brings about a power that you and I could never even imagine on our own. And I wonder how bad you want this. And do you believe this, that God's presence brings a power beyond what we can do on our own? See, I think a piece of this is that just in the context of Mary's song and the power of Herod, if we take just our daily lives and the things that we're wanting from God and compare it to just where our world is and what our world is telling us to do and become and desire, the birth of this baby Jesus has turned everything on its head. It has flipped everything upside down. Well, the things that we probably naturally want and desire don't actually make sense forever. 
They do not actually make sense for eternity and what God might have for us. And it's in this humility to recognize that we can't attain everything that God has for us, but we can be open to his presence and trust that he will fill us with the power that he has for us. Jesus eventually puts it this way, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you recognize the need that you have in your life? That you can never fully satisfy yourself by the things that you're desiring, longing, trying to achieve. And it's in this spirit that we light the Christ candle tonight. So this last season of Advent is we've made room for the arrival of Jesus from peace the first week to hope, to joy, to love. All of it becomes fulfilled in Christ. In Christ alone. And in this, I think, again, if we recognize whether we have much in this life or little, the invitation of Jesus coming as a baby is an invitation to recognize the need that we have for a Savior. And a part of it, I think, simply is, isn't it the hungry that get fed? Because if I'm already full, there's nothing that I can receive. The humble who recognize their need to be filled with the presence and power of a living and a loving God. So tonight... Again, what are we hungry for? So we're going to move into a time of candle lighting, and we're going to close out our night this way. And there is, you may have heard the name Billy Graham, famous in a lot of ways. You may never have heard his name. But he tells this story about you and I. And he says that Jesus coming, if you could imagine yourself standing on the edge of a pier, you're 30, 50, 100 feet out. As you stand at the edge of this pier, there is water that is loudly rushing by you, the chaos of the waters. And as you stand there, you see someone off to the back of the shore, and they're running towards you down the pier, and you can't make out what they're hearing, but they are running towards you so fast. And as they get closer and closer, you start to make out the words that they're saying. And they're saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And as they get right next to you, they just blaze past you and jump in the water. And then they just drift off. And you're standing there wondering, like, this was the oddest thing ever. I don't know who this person was. They just rushed by me and they jumped in and they said they loved me. What do I do with this? And I think what can happen for us in the season of Christmas is it's this idea of who Jesus is and why he's come can rush right past us. In the season of busyness, in the season of self-fulfillment, we can miss this pursuit of Jesus asking us to slow down and recognize that he loves you, that he loves us. And it could be a weird thing looking at this baby who is born to a young girl in the middle of nowhere, and the meaning of it, again, can just blaze right past us. But then we can actually slow down and look at one little thing that changes this story. And that's that what if you and I are in the water? And what if that person is running down the pier, yelling I love you and diving in after us? That's Christmas. Jesus come to us, reaching his hand out to us as we run adrift in the cultural waters that we find ourselves in right now. And it's in this Christ candle that we want to make room to receive that. 
that again, if we sit here tonight and we feel like we have much, how is God calling us to humble ourselves? As we sit here tonight and realize that we might have little, how is God calling us to humble ourselves? And you might be here tonight, and you're just not sure about who this Jesus is or, or what he's up to. But the beckoning is to recognize that you need a Savior. And he's asking you to say, put your hand out. I'm jumping in the waters to save you. And then there's probably many of us tonight that at one point recognized the need for a Savior and said yes. But the call is to do it again and again and again. May we recognize that we are in need of a Savior. And in that, may we make, make room for his presence. Because it's presence that will be followed by God's power. And I don't know about you, but any times I think I'm in power, it usually falls short of what I'm ultimately looking for. So why don't we stand? In a metaphorical way, we get to invite the presence of Jesus into this room. And may we slow down in this moment. And wherever we stand, may it be a moment to step into humility. To accept that God is asking us to create space for his presence. And that we can then trust that God's power will follow. So may we humble ourselves and may in this way, may we sing a new song. So let's sing together and Hannah will come up and close us.